welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Okay, 9 a.m., what's up? (laughs) Well, um, I do want to say real quick, um, thanks for being here today. Um, I didn't expect all of you to come to the 9 a.m. service, so we'll see if anyone (laughs) comes to the 11. Uh, I do want to say thank you for everyone who has sacrificed to make this space possible. Uh, You've given generously of your your time, your money. Um, Some of you have committed to the next few years giving above and beyond to make this place a reality. And we, uh, you know, we're listening to the Lord in our decision to come here. And you uh, made that risk easier by being here. I also want to just say um, thank you to... um, my wife, what you don't know is she was the project manager on all things in the space. So I, now that it's over, I get my wife back. Um, for reals, lease negotiations, lawyers, contracts, project managing, all the things from the seats you're sitting on to the lights. She led the team along with Lydia Rosine, John's wife. Lydia, thank you so much. We, would, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't specifically for those two people. And the team, the staff, like Seth, who's our sound um, engineer. Our, Seth had a baby like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and he's been here literally till 1230 at night at times, making it available. We are in um, process of securing this place, meaning our sounds, this is our setup and teardown sound system. We have a new sound system. We have, we're figuring out lights. We'll have a projector. There's things that are being... Pro, uh, fixed and working, work, we're working everything out. And so I wanted to say thank you for your grace as we figure this out. We're, we're figuring out how to do kids here and youth here. So we're in process, which makes sense, okay? Because that's kind of been our journey the whole time. 14 years ago today, this is our 14 year anniversary. 12 of us gathered in a basement in downtown Long Beach. We were not a church plant yet. We are a project. We did not have a name, but we had a clear vision. We had no idea what it would take to build community, to be the church that we are today, but we knew Jesus. We knew we were called. Some of us were there at that first service. We knew we had purpose to be there. We knew that Jesus had a very clear vision of what the church looked like and what his hopes for creation was. And we, for 14 years, have joined with Jesus in his mission. And so this morning, I, I want to give you a vision for the next 40 years. That's what I've come to do. I, I know you're here checking us out. You, maybe your, your friends invited you and you go to other churches. I want to tell you right off the bat, we can't compete with churches that have sound, you know, uh, slides in kids' ministry. We can't compete with uh, the bounce houses or, or gymnasiums. But what I can guarantee is fruitfulness for the next 40 years. I want to give you the reasons why we have been successful as a church for 14 years. When one, uh, four out of five church plants fail, one out of 10 churches that are planted get past 100. And for whatever reason, the Lord said, I'm going to bless you. It's like he put his finger on and he blessed us. But I believe it has to do with the five things I'm going to talk about today. Are you with me? So I'm going to talk through the vision that we've had. And I think these things are actually... um, Five things. Will you turn down the volume just a little bit? I'm, it's a little hot for me. The mic's a little hot. Maybe it's just me. Um, so hot right now. 
Hansel. Um, that's a throwback for all of you who don't, aren't invited to the Young Adults Weekend. <laughs> You're going to have to Google Zoolander. It came out when you were still in elementary school, Young Adults. I, I actually think these five reasons for why we, we will be fruitful for the next 40, why we have been fruitful for 14 years, are also five things that will empower you to have a vibrant life as a disciple of Jesus, okay? So Matthew chapter 6, let's start with vision. This is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Matthew 6, verse 10, or verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here as it is in heaven. This is our vision. God's kingdom come. In, in Matthew's gospel, it's the kingdom of heavens. In Ma uh, Mark and Ma uh, Luke, it's the kingdom of God. It, the kingdom is the primary message of Jesus Christ. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. Jesus proclaimed God's will, his kingdom, the desires for life, what life looks like when God's in charge, is available here and now. That God's kingdom is the space where what God wants becomes reality. The implications of this prayer are this. There are places and times on earth where God's kingdom, God's desires are not yet reality. And our task is not just to pray a liturgical prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, but to join God in His desire for creation, to be what He intended it to be from the beginning. This is our mission. This is God's vision for creation. So this is our vision for our church. This is God's vision for creation. This is, so this is our mission as disciples of Jesus, that we, in fact, will partner with God in seeing heaven here and now. I'm not sure if you know, but we are a church. And maybe now that we have a space, it makes it a little more formal. But you don't need a building to be a church. Amen? Amen. But we are a church, and according to the scriptures, church is kind of like a good movie trailer. Church is like a good movie trailer. How many of you love showing up to movies, the, the movie theaters, on time to watch the previews? Anyone? Like, I have this debate all the time. No, it starts at four. There's 20 minutes of previews. That's when it starts, babe. I remember when we were watching the NBA Finals during COVID, I brought my, my son Ezra to watch the Lakers win, actually. That was when they won. Um, prophesying over that for next year. But anyways, uh, the, the Lake, he, he kept asking me, Dad, what are those mini movies between the game? And he was talking about those commercials. Because we don't have, you know, TV. Uh, but, but church is like a good movie trailer. You see, a good movie trailer, uh, and the reason I'm reflecting on this, forgive me, you're in my inner world now, uh, is I recently, we do movie night on Fridays, and a couple weeks ago we were watching a, a movie for families that was built, made in the 90s. And we watched the trailer, but it was a terrible trailer. And that's how they made them back in the day. Like, you're like, why would anyone want to watch this movie? It was basically a clip, and it was very boring. My kids are like, no, we're not going to watch this film. I'm like, I promise you it's good. I promise it's better than that. 
See, a good, a, a good movie trailer, the best will introduce you to the main character, set up a central conflict of the film. It will end you, end with a major cliffhanger, leaving you the need to resolve the conflict. You will, you will have to go to see the film, to see what happens, because it will create empathy with the character, and the viewers will, will die to see how the conflict is resolved. They want to go see the movie. A good movie trailer makes you want to see the movie. And if you read scriptures at all, what you see in the scripture is the church is called to be first fruits of heaven on earth. We're called to be a movie trailer. We're called to be a preview of the age to come. We are to be the kinds of places and people where the outsiders can look in on what's happening here and say, there must be a God. Look at how they live. Not because they tweeted or protested or had a good Instagram account, but because the way we lived pointed people to the resurrected Christ, to the reality of heaven. The church is a place where people can experience heaven here and now. And that's the kind of church we're building. That's the kind of church we want to build where you can bring friends and you don't even have to say anything. They'll leave with you going to a restaurant in your, of your choosing here on the marina. <laughs> And they will say to you, the vibe was really cool. <laughs> I'm feeling something that I don't have words for. I don't know what's going on. And you can say, that's Jesus. So here are five things, five strategies for our future. These are five strategies that, the, uh, that will help us remain faithful to our mission for the next 40 years. Here's what it says. Five reasons Garden Church will be successful over the next 40 years. How do you like that? Five reasons Garden Church will be fruitful over the next 40 years. Number one, we're going to live the word of God. We are not going to dismiss the word of God. We're not going to diminish the word of God. We're not just going to read the word of God. We're not just going to preach the word of God. We're not just going to study the word of God. We are going to live the word of God. Matthew chapter 28 says this, Then Jesus came, and to them he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey some of the things I command. Oh, no, that's the modern American church translation. Sorry, I was reading the wrong one. Everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Uh, some of you are confused. I made up that part. So you're like, is there an American modern tradition of language? I need that Bible. It would make following Jesus a lot easier. J James chapter 1, verse 22, uh, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We are called in this moment in time to live the word of God. The sociologist Charles Taylor said that we have moved from a culture of authority where once upon a time in the West, our society and culture, no matter how much you want to debate this, was built on a Judeo-Christian worldview. We built the framework of Western society on biblical teachings and Judeo-Christian worldview. We are dismantling those things right now. And he said, we went from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. Now, hear me, you may think authenticity is a value. Of course it is. We want to be authentic. But what culture has said, the highest authority in the land is what you think and feel about yourself. 
We're no longer looking to what God says. We're no longer looking to what the scriptures teach. We're no longer living in response to the authority of scripture. Now, let me get this. Let me just say this right now. You need to know how to understand what the Bible says and means today. That's why we teach expository preaching at this church. That's why we <laughs> preach from the scriptures. That was a very loud water bottle falling. <laughs> I forgive you. You're forgiven. Just, I'm just taking mental notes of things we need, you know, cushions for the water bottles. <laughs> so the point is, we want to be a church that believes the highest authority in the land is the word of God. Let me explain something to you. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We live in a time where we think good feelings will set you free. Good feelings will not set you free. Static experiences will not set you free. Without the knowledge of truth, you will not be set free. And Jesus is the capital T, truth. And so if you think at this church, we're going to teach sermons where we're going to play to the moment, we won't. We're going to live under the word of God. We're going to live under the authority of God's word. And I want to say that is a strategy for all of you to embody in your life. If you choose to live under the authority of scriptures, I believe your life will be healthy, whole, filled with peace and joy. It will work together the way it was intended because God's word speaks to everything. He will bless your life. How are we doing? That's point number one. I got four more. Is that all right? Five points. I've only been preaching for like five minutes. No, like 10, but we're going to keep going. Because there's a second service coming. Maybe there's a second service. I don't know. You all showed up. <laughs> Either way, my team's very nervous. Like, Darren, you preached for like 55 minutes. You got to cut it back. I'm like, you know what? We're going to change the times, okay? 9 and 11, 15. <laughs> don't muzzle an ox while he's treading right here. I got the word of the Lord. I read Paul, Paul would preach and people would fall asleep. They would fall out the window and then he raised them back to life. They're like, you've never raised somebody back to life. Darren. I know. I haven't tried. Actually, I have, but I, it didn't work. So <laughs> number two, what's going to bear fruit? How are we going to be successful? We're going to live the way of Jesus. Look at what Eugene Peterson says. He says, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth and then do it any old way we like. Nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. Do you see this? It's confronting the polarization of the church today. We can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshipping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. Come on. When we do, the wheels start falling off the wagon, and they are falling off the wagon. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must be congruent. Only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth do we really get the Jesus life. Our world is suffering. In this room, there's so much pain and brokenness. And our society will not get fixed because we give them Bible studies or simple practices. This culture faces a crisis like never before. And the only way people are going to experience transformation is not because they did yoga or they did cold showers or they did some juice fast or Whole30 or keto or whatever else comes out next. It will only happen because they meet Jesus, the real Jesus. 
and they are taught a strategy for transformation. We call it spiritual formation. It's a way, it's the way of Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't come and say, okay, guys, have a bunch of Christians hang out together and drink coffee and lattes and talk about me on, on Tuesday. He said, make disciples. He commissioned his followers to be disciples who make disciples. And we are going to do that. We are going to be a church that makes disciples. That, uh, who, we are going to be a church of disciples who make disciples. We may not have an indoor playground for your kids yet. I'm not leaving it. I'm talking 40 years. We might have that. <laughs> we might have a river flowing through our campus and there's going to be baptisms. I don't know. I don't know. I never thought we'd be in Huntington Beach. We're going to follow Jesus, but the way we follow Jesus is as important. And what we're going to do, we might not have the playground for kids. We might not have a basketball court, but I promise you this. We will disciple your kids in the way of Jesus. We will disciple your youth to be passionate followers of Jesus that know the word of God, that know how to get themselves into the presence of the Holy Spirit, that will be a contagious presence in the world. So if you want fun and games, might not be the great church, best church for you. If you want disciples of Jesus, this is the place. Because what, what we know right now is the youth is facing a crisis like never before. And we want to show them the way. And the way is following Jesus. Are you with me? Yes. Number three, how do I know we're going to succeed? We're going to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do I know your life will bear fruit? Is, it's it's it, that you live empowered by the Spirit. In Acts, Jesus told his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The expectation, if you read all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the one that prepares the way for Jesus says, the one coming will baptize you, dunk you, immerse you. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you read the Gospels, what you see is that the, the life of Jesus that he invites you into is one that's immersed in the presence of God himself. And for far too long, the church has debated whether we're going to be a word church or a spirit church. And what I need to tell you is if you're a word church, you have to be a spirit church. And if you're a spirit church, you have to be a word church because the spirit always points to scripture. Just read the Bible. Every time the spirit manifests and comes over a person, there's a word proclaimed. There is truth in what's being done. We are going to be a church that lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. What this means to me is simply this. We are going to commit to making the presence of God our priority. We're going to live the word. We're going to live the way. And we're going to live to seek his presence. And I am so convicted about this. I was so stirred this morning. I had to come here at 5 a.m. and just get in the presence of God. I'm like, I want to get here first. This is our first time we have our own space. We have for potentially for the first time a space where there can be unending, unceasing, continuous worship and prayer. Now, we're not limited to the schedule, the rent at school. We actually have a space where if we wanted to, we could commit to having regular worship and prayer gatherings where every single day of the week, people can show up and encounter the living God when you can come and be in the presence of God. And we have to train ourselves to tend to Jesus, 
to tend to his presence. It's not just about what you're doing for your life, but it's laying down and presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You see, never in human history have we had access to all this Christian stuff. We have apps to help you focus and calm yourself at night. We have apps to help you study the original language. We have Bibles accessible in so many different variations on your phone. We have worship albums being dropped every single week. We have new songs coming on my Spotify list all the time from all these amazing worship leaders. We have podcasts and YouTube channels and apps to get the best teaching in the world. It's absolutely crazy, but the world is suffering. Depression's all-time high. Anxiety's all-time high. Suicide's all-time high. Division's all-time high. All of the Christian stuff is not healing the world. I I would like to propose to you that it's because the church has, has functioned without the presence of God. And we will never do that. So you'll hear me. We will create space to linger in the presence of God. We will do that in this gathering. We will do that in midweek gatherings. We will do that in our leadership trainings. We will do that in our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, our board meetings. We create space at our leadership meetings. We create space to hear God's voice, to respond and linger in his presence. We want to train you to be filled and empowered for the Holy Spirit. John Stott once wrote, he said, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. We're committed to the presence of God and being a church that will be marked by the tangible power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you uh, some things to look for in the coming months. I was going to say this for the end, but I'm so glad you're here because you're witnessing the beginning of a move of God. God is doing something right now. And we could say in Long Beach as it is in heaven, in Huntington Beach as it is in heaven, in Costa Mesa as it is in heaven, in Kentucky right now as it is in heaven. There's things stirring right now in the United States, in colleges where people are crying out for God. And there's, a, a, there's God pouring himself out on a community right now in Kentucky. And I'm saying, I, Lord, do it here. Pour out your spirit here. But I want to show you that we, I've studied revival history. I've studied moves of God. And I want to give you the things to look for as I talk about this. this these will be the, the, the signs of God's tangible presence and undeniable power in this church. You ready? I think there's 20 of them. Number one, power. I'll go through it fast. Power to receive the gospel and salvation. We're going to see people get saved. Conviction of sin and a pursuit of holiness. The gifts of the Spirit are going to be poured out. Songs in the spirit are going to happen. There's going to be power for deliverance. There's going to be power for healing. Hey, how cool is this? The first time our leadership team came to this space to look at it with our agent. Johnny, are you here? Yeah, Johnny's right here. Johnny, this is Johnny's testimony. Um, Johnny came here. His neck was in pain, and he had been on medication for his neck for like a couple years, yeah? Um, And Johnny, uh, one of our elders saw him and said, can I pray for you? prayed. Uh, Johnny's pain the next day went away. And uh, Johnny was supposed to have surgery. Am I right? In, in a week later, has it been canceled? Yeah. Surgery has been canceled. He's been pain-free. That's our agent who's here. He, he made it possible for us to be here. Thank you, Johnny. But it was the first thing that happened in this space. God healed our agent. And he's here... Claiming testimony of that. Let's do this real quick. We just raise your hand if you need healing today. Just raise it right now. Raise it up high. 
We're just going to ask the Lord to bring healing. Raise your hand up high. If you have your hand up, and, or if you see someone next to you with their hand up, we just place a hand on them. I'm not going to make you stand. Keep your hand up. This is a low-risk moment. Here's what we know in the Spirit of God. We're going to do stuff like this if you're like, oh my gosh, they're making me work. Yes. We're going to make you work. <laughs> I'm going to, would you just pray your best prayers? Lord, would you just release healing in this room? Make sure somebody has a hand on you um, if, if your hand is up. We're just going to ask, Father, we thank you for the ministry of healing. We thank you for the testimony that's taken place in this space, our new church, that you already healed one person. We pray for wholeness, God. We pray for bodies to be healed, neck pain to go away, headaches to go away, TMJ to go away. We pray for autoimmune disorders to go away. We pray for anxiety. We pray for depression. We pray for sleep disorders. We pray for chronic fatigue. We pray for back pain. We pray for muscle pain. We pray for undiagnosed things. We pray for cancer to go away in Jesus' name. We ask God that this would be a place of healing, that this place would be dedicated to seeing your, he your heaven be reality so that people would walk in without even getting prayer. They, they would be set free of addiction. They'd be healed of conditions. Lord, we, we ask this in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and we all pray together. Amen. Amen. All right. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. You're cutting out of my time. Let's keep going. So... <laughs> There's a bunch of other things, healing, generosity, reconciliation of relationships, serving one another, commonality, compassion, mission to the nations. This is going to be a whole other point. Save that. There is going to be a wave of missionaries going to unreached nations. I'm going to say it twice. Personal and corporate transformation, restored identities, renewed minds, fruit of the Spirit will be evident in this church. We will have the power to make disciples. There will be healthy relationships and families restored. Let's go. Whew. All right. I hate having a clock. This is going to make me. <sighs> I'm going to change the times. I've got the power. Um. <clears throat> Number four. We're going to live. What's going to, what's going to, what's a guaranteed success for Garden Church? Guaranteed fruitfulness for your life in the church we're going to live as a countercultural community. I love Acts 2. It says, this is a snapshot. The first church, it looked like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Our culture is a failed experiment. The, the most vulnerable are hurting like never before. We need an awakening. We need revival. We need reformation. We need a stronger culture here than what's out there. Rodney Stark, the famous sociologist who studied the unimaginable growth in the early church, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And he simply said this, Christians lived radically. People looking in from the outside wanted to be like them. Why did the church grow in the first few hundred years with no buildings, with no formal education, with no canonization of scripture, with no uh, seminaries, with no websites, with no Instagram account, with no church merch, or no free uh, meal tickets to Beals? That's right. If you're a guest, free meal this Sunday at Beals. Make sure you get your gift. We want you to bless that business. Also, just a quick reminder, Garden Church, that if you go and eat at one of the restaurants, tip 30%. That's my 
commission to you. With all, with lacking all of those things, the church grew like crazy. And it was because the church lived a radically different culture than the way of the world. It's because people on the outside, they actually, there were times in history where outsiders were not allowed to come to worship gatherings. We have writings in the second century where a bishop writes to the church in Athens saying, don't let outsiders in. It will lead to our slaughter. And the point of that book, which is called The Patient Ferment, the author says um, the, uh, the reason people were coming to the church had nothing to do with the visible qualities of a worship service. It had everything to do with the invisible quality of the Christian, their generosity, their hospitality, their genuine lifestyle provoked questions like, I want to be like you. May it be for us like it was back then. And, and I, I, we did this experiment years ago where uh, we asked the question, what do people expect in the church? Like, what are the expectations that people come and grade a church service on? Like, what are they expecting when outsiders come and check us out? And we, we came up with this list. As a, Look at this list. It's, there's a lot. It was like they have to have parking and coffee and a parking and great worship and a sound system. Go to the next one. A place for my kids. Uh, there has to be a 35-minute talk where the pastor's funny and kind of convicting, but not too serious. It has to be clean and safe and comfortable, cool stage design, comfortable seating, and at least enough room for me to put my purse next to somebody, not another person sitting next to me, unlike this space. <laughs> there was all these things that we wrote, snacks, water. We said that you have to have hot water in the, or hot coffee in the winter and cold coffee, ice, uh, cold brew in the summer. It was this long list. And we realized that we have been trained in a culture of consumerism. That this is what we expect. This is what we grade a church on. But then we went through and said, what does the Bible command? And look at what we came up with. These were the commands in the scriptures. What are the expectations of the church from the Bible? We love one another, pray. It's led by elders, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, called to give an account for our lives. Go to the next one. We're not going to judge other people. Give generously. Everyone uses their spiritual gifts. We live holy lives. God's presence is there. We forgive one another. Go to the next one ambassadors of Christ, we preach the gospel, we make disciples, we cast out demons, we love our neighbors, where there's unity, we forgive sins. Listen, at the end of the day, what I realized is that we were building a church to meet expectations. And we changed course. We're not going to do that. We're going to build a church that lives out the commands of scriptures. And that means we have to live as a countercultural presence, which, by the way, our countercultural community, which, by the way, I think that if we really do live out biblical community, it will perhaps be one of the most effective forms of evangelism in our culture today. That our culture, there's 40% of the world in the West would identify themselves as lonely. And loneliness, according to the science, and saying that I'm now suspect, according to the science, loneliness is affecting our health. It's connected to depression and heart disease, and it impairs our immune function, and it increases our inflammation. We know that if you are someone who is put into a, 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 a senior citizen home or, or end-of-life care, that if you don't have family, the odds of you going sooner is way more likely than if you have relationships. In other words, not having a community impairs your health. 
And if we live together as a countercultural community in this place, people were going to find Jesus. They're going to want to be like us. And we will live a vibrant community because the world is aching for authentic community. So Garden Church, we're going to bear fruit because we build community. We do that well. I need to say, for the last 14 years, we have built community. You can join House Church today. You can sign up to serve. You can get plugged into so many things that are happening. We have youth groups. We have a thing called Garden Sons for fathers and sons that's gathering. We have a small group for, I think it's fourth and fifth grade girls. Like, there's so much community happening. You can't do life alone. I've seen over the last 14 years, this church show up for people and be community. Whether it was you had a baby and there was a meal train, God bless the meal train. Can we just say that? Whether you're going through crisis or sickness and food was dropped off and you were taken care of, whether you couldn't pay rent and your, your house church came along and paid rent, we have seen it over and over again. Just yesterday, one of our pastors needed to clear out a bunch of stuff from his house. He had a horrible thing happen to his home. Not going to give you the details. Probably one of the worst things that can happen. It involves skunks underneath their house. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> but they had all this debris. And, and someone in our church had a group of guys that are part of Pursuit. Anyone here part of Pursuit? A men's ministry, building strong and healthy men, training them in the way of Jesus, getting them physically healthy. A bunch of dudes showed up, cleared out the stuff that would have taken two days. It just took a couple of hours. That's community. And if you don't have that, this is the place for you. You're going to build it here. You're going to have friends that will walk with you for the rest of your life because you can't follow Jesus alone. All right, how are we doing? Is that, that's four points. I'm doing pretty good, right, time-wise? My team's like, yes, keep going. Don't stop. Don't slow down. <laughs> Don't slow down, Darren. <laughs> and now I'm in my head. <laughs> Do I go? Do I stay the course? You're getting my inner dialogue right now. One thing I've seen is that um, those who don't commit to community tend to fall away. Those who don't commit to community in their marriages are more likely to end up in divorce, guaranteed. Those who, and, and community is like in retirement, right? If you don't invest now, you won't have it when you need it. It's true. You're like, where's all my people? Where you haven't been there ever. You're not showing up. Right? You're in crisis and you're wondering where all the, you, you didn't invest in those relationships. You know what I'm talking about? Community is what's going to hold you up. Make sure you have people around you that can hold you up. You're going to need people in the coming months and years. I guarantee it. And those who opt out of community are more likely to struggle down the road. Because community does two things. Number one, it exposes you to something. It brings exposure, right? Community, when you get married and you're, you were, when you were single, you're like, I'm a saint. And then you get married and you're like, oh my gosh, I am filled with demons. <laughs> or my spouse is. <laughs> Both are probably true. Right? You didn't realize how bad it was, how bad you were. <laughs> Things are really hard when you don't get your way all the time. Isn't it true? You get kids and it's even worse. How do you function without sleep? And you realize community exposes things. Hey, you've been a part of a community where someone stops texting back and then doesn't show up. Real community is like, hey, what's going on in your life? I see that you're not texting back and showing up. You're going through a hard time. 
You need friends in your life. We got to press in. It brings exposure. It reveals the brokenness, but it also brings encouragement. Real community both exposes what's there, brings out holiness, sanctifies you. That's why marriage is one of the greatest tools for sanctification. If you're single, the goal isn't marriage. If you're single, the goal is Christ-likeness. Same thing in marriage. So if you're single, make sure you have people in your life that are putting up a mirror to you and saying, you got to work on this area of your life. You don't see, but your backside's not as good as you think. That's not, that's a metaphor. Because <laughs> I know mine's good, all right? I know it's good. Right, babe? Just <laughs> but the second thing community does is it encourages you. They're like, this is a gift in your life. You should go after it. Yes, you should stop your job. You're called to this. We're going to lift you up. We're going to encourage this gift, this strength, this thing in your life. We're going to support you when you're there. And when you need us, we're going to encourage you there. The community both exposes the things that are bad, and it calls you into Christ-likeness, and it encourages you into your calling. And if you don't have community, you will be stuck. I could say a lot worse. But I just want to say, get involved in community, guys. Make it intentional. Cool? We're going to bear fruit by being a countercultural community. The last one is this. Number five, one of the most important for the church and one of the ones that's least com- uh, churches least commit to. But it's our commitment that we're going to live as a courageous, we're going to live a courageous missional purpose. I love what 1 Peter says. And I could pull a million different texts, but I love this one. It's for all of you. 1 Peter chapter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What I love about Peter is at that point in time, the church, which he's writing to in Rome, the Christians were being persecuted by Nero. Nero's nickname was the beast. He used to dress up with animal skins and lock up Christians in cages and pretend to nibble on them and he would burn them alive to light up his garden parties when he would throw parties. Literally, Christians were being burned alive and the response to the persecution is live in such a way that they may see the way you live and glorify God. That is a missional purpose. They were not walking around in the first century going, oh Lord, bless my business. They were not walking around going, my mission is this. My calling is this. They were saying Jesus' mission is this. Jesus is calling is this. And it might cost me my life. It might cost me my reputation. It might cost me my family. But I'm going for the purpose that's God's and not my own. And our church exists for that purpose. We will go after. We will do crazy things because God says, this is where I'm leading. And we will follow him. We will raise you up to know that it's not where does God fit into the story of my life. The question we should ask is where does my life fit into the story of God's great mission. You see, all of you are missionaries. All of you are missionaries. Some of you are vocational missionaries that get paid for it. All of you are missionaries. Every job you have is a mission field. Every home you own is a mission field. Every school you go to, every coffee shop you go to, every place you go, you are a walking mini temple carrying the presence of God. And the purpose there is to reflect God into the world. I'm sorry if you thought this was about making your life cozy, whole, and the best life now. Your best life is in the will of God. And that might, somebody say mommy. That sounded like my kid. Is that, (laughs) it's not Amos, right? (laughs) Go back to kids' ministry. (laughs) Learn about Jesus. No. um, uh, Man, I got two minutes, but this is so good. I'll just finish with this. 
I'm going to read this long quote. Okay. I have to share this with you. In that book, Rise of Christianity, he says this. Look, Christianity, this is the first few hundred years, served, listen to what he says, as a revitalization movement that rose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity became a response to the crisis the world faced. Look what he says. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with the homeless, and uh, I'm sorry, to cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis of attachment. To cities torn by violent, I'm sorry, to cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. This is our vision. Here as it is in heaven. Here, wherever you are, as it is in heaven. That you would go now knowing that where you go, you have the seed for the possibility for heaven to crash in and create a new culture. We're not just talking about healing and wholeness and signs and wonders or warm fuzzies. I'm talking about restored relationships. I'm talking about the possibility of transformation, hope in, uh, in despair, hope in hopeless settings, that you come in with a mindset that's been shaped by the abundance of heaven, that you walk into those spaces, those places and spaces and bring about God's way of life. This is what we're called to. This is what we're about. This is why we're here. And this is why I can say for a fact, with certainty, if we're committed to these five things, we will be successful for 40 years and beyond. We will bear fruit as a church. You will bear fruit as a human if you live these five things out. It's undeniable. They're they're, they're found in the scripture. It's at the heart of Jesus. And if you do these things, we will be a good movie trailer for what's to come. We will be the kind of community where people simply have to come and they will witness the risen Jesus, which was Jesus' strategy from the beginning. So I want to invite you to be a part of this church. This is a new chapter. 14 years has defined us up until this moment, and now we set a new trajectory for the next 40 plus. Who will we become? What will we do? All of those things are up in the air, and it's based on you being church. So if you're wondering, you know, how do I get involved? All I can say is pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's an all-in decision. It's not a, okay, maybe we'll check this out later. You, at some point, need to decide to define if you're in or out. And I want to invite you to be in, to cross that line, and to do five things, to live the word of God, to live the way of Jesus, to live empowered by the Spirit, live together as a countercultural community, and live a courageous missional presence. So we say here as it is in heaven, or here as in heaven, in Long Beach as it is in heaven. Look at this slide. In Whittier, as it, oh, all these Long Beach, Silby, I just want you to see it. In Lakewood, in Costa Mesa, these are all places that you live, according to our um, 
online tracking system because we, <laughs> we're able to access Siri in your phone and we're using it regularly, mainly for prayer, knowing you guys need a lot of prayer. So, all right, so here's what I want, to, I want you to do. I want you to join a house church or start a house church. I want you to serve and be a part of this family. I want you to give your life to mission. I want you to get trained in the way of Jesus. I want you to look for opportunities to be trained Um, because we are going to do some amazing things in this church. I believe in the next season, we're going to plant churches. We're going to need multiple spaces, different buildings for what we have. This is already too small for us. We already knew that. We need a youth building here. We need somebody to raise lots of money so we can get a youth building. We need a, a, a van to transport people that can't drive to this space. We need a 15-passenger van. Those are the small things. You want to know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about the ministry center that we're going to have, where we're going to have thousands of people trained as missionaries, where we partner with missionary organizations to raise up a generation to go to the unreached nations. Because right now, very little money in the church is going to unreached nations. And there are still places on earth where people do not know there is a Jesus. And we want to send, we want to equip we want to partner with organizations to send them. We want to raise up a new generation. I want a school, to be honest. I want a ministry school, but I also want a school. I want a garden school for the next generation so that they have a place to grow up in a culture of the kingdom of God. These are all things I'm imagining. You want me to keep going? I could talk about church planning movement. I could talk about all the things. There's so much bursting, but it starts now. Here's what God's doing. He's giving us a new seed. And you have a choice. You can either plant the seed and cultivate it and steward it and care for it and watch it grow, or you can stick it in your pocket and walk out. So let's stand and let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.